Glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name's Sean. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're joining us online this morning, we're glad you're joining us. Uh, we're honored that you take some time out today uh, to pursue Jesus in this way and, and uh, to wrestle with some questions about him. And uh, I'm glad you guys are here and took some time out of your day to be here, uh, to be present as a body together. Uh, we are working through a series that we just called Us. And it's a conversation on what it means to be we, what it means to be Monmouth Christian Church, what it means to be MCC. And uh, the first week, if you weren't here, a um, little recap. First week, we talked about we're a Jesus people. And we talked about how at the root of everything, the foundation of everything that we are is this simple truth that we are people who worship and celebrate Jesus, who proclaim Jesus, who want to invite people to the goodness of Jesus, that everything we do rises and falls on our pursuit and celebration of Jesus, right? And so last week, we started with our first uh, value statement and we said this, we said we, right? What it means to be we, um, we will do everything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus, right? And this week, I'm gonna give it to you right up front. Um, this week, what we're gonna talk about is, is this, um, we will lead the way with irrational generosity because we truly believe it is more blessed to give than to receive. And he, here, here's what I suspect. As I said that statement, right? We will lead the way with irrational generosity. You had two emotional responses. You're in one of two categories, okay? First category went, yeah! Like, this is awesome! We get to do awesome things! We get to be part of awesome things! It's awesome! And then the second one went, oh, money week. Like, Sean talks about money two to three times a year. I should have stayed home and watched football. I should have gotten to brunch. Ugh. Question today is pretty simple. It's just this. Do we believe the words of Jesus? Do we believe what he says? Let me show you. You don't have to turn there. In a minute, you can turn to Romans 12. If you want to get ahead, you can turn to Romans 12. But, but let me just read it to you. It just says it right here. Uh, Acts 20, verse 35. If you're a note taker, you can look it up later. It says this. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, the second half of our statement that we will lead the way with the rational generosity because we truly believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive. My hope today is to give you a little bit of a challenge to rethink generosity, to reflect on the generosity in your life, the way you live out generosity in your life. But I also want to end today with an encouragement. I want to end today with a little bit of space to breathe and encourage you and maybe breathe some life into, into the wings of your soul. So Romans 12, here we go, ready? Here, here's Romans 12, look, look at, um, if you've got a Bible with you, that's great. If you've got it on your phone or on a tablet, that's awesome, Bible app is incredible. You should have the Bible app on every electronic device you own. It says this, Romans 12, verse one. Therefore, Paul's writing, he says, I, Paul, urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship or spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, 
that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Some textual things to look at, some things that I think are interesting that, that should help shape this for us, is the first thing is, look right back at the beginning. He says this, therefore I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies. That word present, right? A lot of times when you think of um, present, we think of like honor and kind of pomp and circumstance, right? That um, we're going to present someone an award, Right? And so we, we, we bring them up on stage, we have a celebration, we maybe dress a little nicer depending on how important the presentation is. And we bring them up on stage and we have this um, you know, nice picture frame with a, a plaque or, or, a, or a certificate on it, maybe it's even embossed. I don't, I don't know what that word means, but it's always on things that are important. It's embossed, right? And, and, we, and we hold it in front of them, and we all applaud, and we present them with something. And there's honor and significance in the presentation. There's a Greek word for that. That's not this word. <laughs> Interestingly, that, that, this word, let me, let me read to you the definition of this word. It says that this word means to put at someone's disposal. That's a little different, isn't it? I mean, in our house, we have a disposal. Do you have a disposal, right? In our kitchen, uh, you hit the button, it's in the sink, and it goes, unless you put like uh, popcorn kernels in there, then it goes, right? And you dispose of things in the disposal. If you're gonna dispose of something, are you gonna put it on a shelf in your room? No, no, you're going to take it out to the trash. This is, this is that word, to present for someone's disposal. Let me, re let me reread you the sentence here with that in mind. Therefore, I urge you, by the mercies of God, to, get, to put at God's disposal your bodies a living and holy sacrifice to put at God's disposal. You see, our statement says this. It says that we will lead the way with irrational generosity because to an unbelieving world, to people who aren't followers of Jesus, what Paul is calling us to is irrational. Like, okay, let's, I know a lot of you have spent a lot of time in church, okay? If you haven't, you're, you're at an advantage in this moment, okay? I know a lot of you spend a lot of time in church, and so um, we'll say churchy things. And I think on some level we sincerely mean them, but we don't actually, we don't ever feel, we lose feeling the weight of them, right? And so we'll, we'll say things like, oh, God is worthy of everything in my life. Like, that's a big claim, that's what Paul's telling you here, is the way that we should, our, we should live our lives is that we're putting ourselves fully at the disposal for him to do whatever he wants. Do you remember? Um, there's a passage in Hebrews. I didn't mention this during first service. just popped in my head. There's a passage in, in Hebrews, and it's called the Hall of Faith. Um, and we love it, right? Right? This, this passage of all these great people of faith, and God did these incredible things. And then there comes a point about two-thirds of the way through the chapter where it turns. And you know what it says? It says, and some were sawn in two. 
and some were eaten by lions. But all were faithful. That's what it looks like to put yourself at his disposal and to an outside world, to a, to a rational mind separate from the gospel, what Paul is calling us to is an irrational kind of generosity. It's a, it's a kind of thing that doesn't make sense, but Paul tells us why it makes sense, right? He says in verse 1, the first word says this. In verse 1 of chapter 12, he says this. He says, therefore, now here's a little hermeneutical um, uh, little phrase you should learn. Hermeneutics just means like how you study the Bible. Here's a little phrase that you should learn. Anytime, right, the statement says this. What's the therefore, therefore? Right? So anytime you see a verse or someone pulls a verse out and it begins with therefore, you should ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? And if you look back and you read Romans 12, and if you continued backwards through the book of Romans, which would be a very weird way to read a book, but if you did, you would find what Paul has been saying this whole time is there's two kinds of people in this world. The way Paul classifies, he says there's this type of people that were in the in-group, right? They were good with God. They were, they were inside his promise, right? And those people were inside his promise, and yet they were inside his promise. They didn't like his promise, and they said, God, we don't want anything to do with you, and they rejected him, and they rebelled against him, and he says that the incredible truth of the gospel is that God is merciful to those he showed mercy to and invited them in. And even those who were in and rejected him, that God's mercy is so abundant that he continues to show them mercy and grace. And for some of us, that's our story. Like some of you grew up in the church. You grew up going to church and there came a point in your life where you're like, I don't want any of this. I don't want to have to deal with it. I don't want any of this. And you purposely began to push God away in your life. And Paul says, the amazing thing about the gospel is that there's mercy for us. But then there's another group of people. He says there's this other group of people that were just never invited in. And they always felt like on the outside. And they always felt like they weren't acceptable. And they always felt like they weren't enough. And God shows mercy to those people. So, so the one that was in and rejected and the one that was out and rejected, that God shows mercy to both these people. And that's amazing. And he says this. He says, therefore, to steal from other passage and in view of God's mercy, in view of his kindness, therefore, when we understand and see all that he has done, maybe, here, um, maybe we need to spend more time reminding ourselves of the mercies of God. Maybe today, maybe this week, you need to carve some time out in your life and you need to take some time. You need to make a list, maybe on a piece of paper, you pull out notes on your phone or Evernote and you can start making a list of all the ways God's been merciful to you. And you'll be overwhelmed as that list continues to compile and compile. Maybe you keep that same list. And every time you think of something that God's been merciful and kind and the way that God has shown you his goodness, you can add that to his list. And here's what I would encourage you, I would challenge you with. As long as your list may get, it's abundantly more the things that we don't even recognize that God's mercy has been shown to us. Ways he's protected us and provided us that we have never even seen and will never see. Here's the thing. Um, I used to think that, um, that generosity was like a cause, was like a thing we should, we should, we should, we should try and be generous people, right? 
We should, we should try and, um, we should discipline ourselves to a spiritual discipline of being generous people. And here, here's what I found. Um, you know what's funny is um, the more we try and be something, the more we try and discipline ourselves to be something, even to be generous, it's actually this weird paradigm happens. The more arrogant we become, right? Have you met this person, right? They, they, they've, they've, they've become more and more generous in the amounts that they give away or the amounts they give themselves away, but they become more and more prideful, right? right? Oh, well, you know. <laughs> I used to give 10%. Now I give 11.8. Woo! Look at me! Right? Because you see, what I've, what I've realized over the years is Generosity is actually a fruit of other things that are already going on in our heart. When we try and discipline ourselves to be generous people, if we are, this is what Paul would argue about other moral things, if we do become generous, we just become arrogant about our generosity. But true generosity, the kind of generosity that Paul calls us to, that Jesus invites us to, is a kind of generosity that's like a, a cocktail of these two ingredients mixed together. And the first one is this. The first one is, is gratitude. Is the foundation of therefore. Is recognizing and seeing the abundance of God's mercy poured over us. When you look throughout scripture and you read and it's talking about generosity, it will almost always include these two cocktails. And the first one is, is gratitude that if we are going to be a generous people who live in, in, in an irrationally generous way, it is a people whose foundation will be grounded in gratitude of the abundance of God's goodness and mercy to us. The second one is this. You see it actually in verse three, the beginning of verse three. It's why I read all the way to verse three. Let me read it for you again. It says this, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Gratitude is a cocktail of, of two practices in our life cultivated to bear this fruit of generosity. And the two practices that bear this fruit of generosity is gratitude and humility. Gratitude and humility. Uh, I... I uh, heard a story about 10 years ago from a pastor in Portland named Rick, Rick McKinley. Uh, you, may, you may know the name, you may not. Uh, he, he's the pastor of a church called Imago Day, and they do a lot of incredible things up in Portland. They're a really great church. And um, because of it, because of decades of doing really great things, they've developed really great relationships with a lot of people in government in the Portland area. And um, he said about 10 years ago, um, they, he got a call. He got a call from the mayor of Portland, who at the time was a man named Sam Adams. You may remember Sam Adams. And um, they, they chatted before. They'd done things together. They'd partnered in things. And in fact, it was pretty regular for Sam Adams to call him to, to ask if the churches could be involved in these things or help in these areas. And, and one time he called, because um, he was asking if they could get some volunteers for their summer food program. Because I don't know how they do it now in Portland. But at the time, they do them in parks. They wouldn't do them in schools. They had one like main area or a couple main areas that that would make all the food, and then they'd go out to these neighborhood parks, and kids could come to the park, and they'd have lunch for them. But it was all done by volunteers. All the distribution in the parks was all done by volunteers, and they're pretty short on volunteers. And so uh, Sam Adams called Rick McKinley and said, hey, 
could you help us out? Could you, you know, could you talk to a couple churches? Could you guys get some volunteers? Here's how many we need. We need to fill these slots Monday through Friday, 11 to 1. We need people all summer to help fill these slots in all these parks. And Rick said, oh, yeah, for sure. We'd, we'd be honored to. Perfect. We'll, we'll take care of it. Not a big deal. He said, but I got to ask you, right? You called me plenty of times. We've had great relationships. He said, I, you know, you know me. Right? You know what I stand for, and I know you, and I know your politics, and, and more importantly, I know the people who fund your political campaigns. He said, I, I gotta ask you, it's a little politically dangerous for you to align yourself with me and uh, to reach out to me. Like, what would happen to some of those donors if they knew that, like, you and I were friends? And this is what Sam Adams said to him. He said, um, he said anyone will show up to protest, but few people will show up to feed kids. Here's the thing. When we are a people consumed by the gratitude of God's goodness and humble, we look like a peculiar people. We look like a people who live out a kind of irrational generosity that doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. We look like a kind of people who, because of our gratitude and humility, live our lives in a kind of generous way that we can live out the words of Romans 12 to offer our bodies at God's disposal to do whatever he wants. Think about the commitment, the sacrifice, Monday through Friday of your summer to go spend the heat in a park serving kids, unlikely to get many thank yous for it. But when we, the people of Jesus... Believe the words of Jesus that it is truly more blessed, it is more happy, it is more life-giving to give than to receive. When we are consumed with gratitude and humility, we will live our lives in a way where we offer all of who we are. All of who we are. There's another verse I want you to look at. 1 Timothy 6, if you have your Bibles. 1 Timothy 6. Paul's writing again, and he's writing to uh, Timothy this time, one of his um, kind of students. And uh, he says this, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. Okay, now let's just pause, okay? okay? I, I know everybody's gonna have an argument about why they're not, who Paul's talking about, right? Why you're not rich, Okay, totally, you're gonna look at your bank account and go, I don't have to listen for the next 10 minutes. That ain't me, right? Let me propose to you something. When Paul sat down and penned these words, right? When Paul thought those people who are rich, I don't think Paul could have fathomed a kind of wealth that we live in every day. I don't think Paul could have fathomed a world where you could go to your, your kitchen sink and you could turn on the tap and not only would there be water that was just forced by some miracle of gravity, that there'd be water, but that you could drink it and you could drink it all the time and all that you would taste would be whatever chemicals they pumped into the water, right? I don't think that he could fathom a world where you didn't have to go to public bathhouses or take a bath in a river, but you could walk into your own bedroom and you could have in your own bedroom that same water pumped in and you could sit there in the bedroom, in the shower, not in the bedroom, that'd be weird, but in the shower and you could shower as often or as long as you wanted and you could decide if you had cold water or hot water. And you could sit in there with cold water, you go, ah, and you could drink the water. Like you, I don't think Paul could have 
fathomed in a, in a place, in a world where there were sustenance, farmers and fishermen, I don't, where families, whole families, 10, 15, 20 people would all live together in the same house, and we have houses for our cars. I don't think Paul could have fathomed, you may not feel rich, but we as a people are some of the wealthiest people the world has ever seen. He says this, instruct those who are rich, that's you and me, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. You remember what I said? You remember what that cocktail for generosity is? It's gratitude and humility. Look at what Paul says. Uh, those who are rich, not to be conceited. What, what would it look like if you weren't conceited? Maybe what's another word? Maybe humble. If you weren't conceited, if you weren't arrogant, your translation might use the word haughty, which um, is an awesome word because we don't use that. But doesn't that just sound like despicable? Like you're so haughty. Not hot. Haughty. Right? I don't, I, <laughs> not to be conceited. He's telling them instead of being arrogant to be humble. And then look at what else he says. He says to fix their hope. Or to not fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. That's an important phrase right there, right at the end, for all things to enjoy. But he's telling them to keep their eyes fixed on God who provides. If your eyes are constantly fixed on God's good provision, that will well up in you a sense of gratitude, a sense of gratefulness for all that he's done. And if we can be people who are humble and grateful, we'll be a kind of people who can live out, verse 18, a kind of, a kind of people of generosity who can live out, verse 18, as a fruit, as a byproduct, as a symptom of all that God's been doing inside of us. Here's what he says. He says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, good works, to be generous and ready to share. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now, here's one of the things I want you to see today. Look, even when Paul gives specific examples, only half of the examples he talks about are money, but some of the examples he talks about are money. Here's what I want to say. Um, generosity is not just what you do with your checkbook, but it is no less than what you do with your checkbook. Jesus says this. He says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. That we can't be the kind of generous people that we claim to be. We can't be irrationally generous people if it never impacts the way we spend our money. But generosity isn't just about money. In fact, um, at the very beginning, you remember, um, I said we're in one of two camps. But even for both camps, when I said we're going to talk about being irrationally generous, probably the first thing that you thought of was that we're having a money talk. But one of the things that I hope you see today is that being irrationally generous is about being all of who you are placed at the disposal of God, not just your check account, checking account, but it is no less. 
Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So here's, here's my challenge to you. Do you believe the words of Jesus? Like, do you actually, not, not like, not like a, uh, an intellectual set, like, oh yeah, Jesus was smart, he was God, like, oh, we're at church, we have to agree. But the way you live your life, do you truly believe that with all of who you are, it is better to give than to receive? Do you truly believe that therefore, because of his mercies, that he is worthy of all of us, whatever that looks like and whatever he wants to do in us? Some of us, some of us today are like, well, you know, Sean, um, I love to be more generous, but I'll be more generous um, when I have more money, right? Like, like if I got a raise, Sean, if by the end of the year I got a raise, I'll give a little bit more money. Sean, if I, if I ended up with a little bit more free time, like if, if, the, if an app came out that could restructure my life so that I'd have like 15 extra minutes, I'd be a little bit more generous with that 15 minutes and giving it away. Um, Jesus, Sean, um, with my talents, like with the things God's blessed me with, like, it, you know, I'll, I'll be a little bit more generous with those when I have more time and when I have more money. And I would say to you, I understand but here's the reality is the root of that idea is an arrogant idea. The root of that idea is that you're the one who's generated the time, the money, or the resources for yourself. And what you're saying is when I can work a little bit harder or get rewarded a little bit more with some more vacation time or a little bit more money, then, remember what he says? Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Here's the truth. You may have worked hard for the things you've earned, accolades, talents, abilities, money. You may have worked hard for them, and I don't want to discredit that. Like, that's, that's actually biblical. Like, that's good. It's called good stewardship. It's taking the things God's entrusted you with and doing good with them, like, like managing them well. That's good stewardship. But here, let me, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Um, uh, when you were in your mother's womb, how much work did you do to form your brain in a way that it could grasp concept idea, complicated ideas? Like when you were in your mother's womb, like how much work did you, how much straining did you do when you were in your mother's womb so to make sure that your spine, so that your spinal cord ended up inside your back and not outside of your flesh causing significant medical problems for the rest of your life? How, how much work did you do to like make sure that like when you're in your mother's womb and everything's kind of unwrapping that like everything inside of your insides here like ended up in the right spots, all the holes in your heart like closed up, the right holes closed up, but not the wrong holes closed up. Like, like what was it that you did to, how much work did you do to form the lungs that breathe in the air that give life to your body? I, um, over the last couple weeks, um, there's a verse I've been reminding myself of often. I'll paraphrase it for you. This is intended to be my encouragement for you. I'll paraphrase it for you, but Jesus is talking. He's talking to a bunch of people who don't know what they're going to eat tomorrow. And he says to them, he says, um, look at the lilies. You know this? Look at the flowers. Look at the grass. 
In our, in our backyard, we've got some daylilies, right? Look at the daylilies. Look at the roses. As beautiful and majestic as they are today, they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. They wither and fade. Look how beautifully God's dressed them. Will he not care for you? Maybe today. Maybe today the biggest obstacle to our generosity is the kind of faith that trusts and believes that there's a God who will be sufficient and good in all things. So today, if you come in afraid, worried, living with a poverty mindset, worried about what tomorrow holds, remember this. Remember this. That the God who spoke the world into existence knows the hairs on your head. He knows every beat your heart will make. He knows every breath you will take, and he is the one who has put the breath of life into your body. Therefore, offer yourself, for that is your good act of worship.